Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, episode 200. So we have a very special episode for you guys this week. Back from uh, the dead. No, I'm just kidding. Back from uh, over on Travel on Points, the editor there, Mark Osterman, our former editor at Miles to Memories, is back with us. Joe is here as well. Good to have the three of us back together to do another show. I'm back, mother. <laughs> Yo, I hate you. <laughs> Bleep. I hate, I hate you I hate can get you. the ma and then ers no no i hate you um i i also want to say all right y'all are um posting videos on youtube that are hitting three hundred thousand subscribers obviously i'm the weak link here so you know we should just close up shop because uh you know y'all are killing it over there at youtube.com slash miles to memories on your vegas show yeah, that was fun. We had our first joint episode that did 300,000 views. We had a few other videos get there and, and a few others in the 200 to 50 range. But yeah, it's good to, to do a podcast and have 300,000 plus people watch it, listen to it. So I guess this is a good reminder if people love Vegas. Mark and I do that show twice a week. So you can still hear and watch us make fools of ourselves talking all about Las Vegas fun stuff. And Mark complaining because, you know, that's what Mark likes to do. And there, yeah, well, yeah, true. And there's been a lot of uh, sports talk over there, Joel. Sports ball, because, you know, the A's want to go, then they don't want to go, and they move back, and they move out, and they're going to build here, they're going to build there, and they have no plan. All right, so since I haven't watched the show, Sean, can I get your quick, like, two-minute, as a Las Vegas resident, how you would feel about the A's potentially going over there? Well, I don't support the public financing, because I don't think Las Vegas needs to do it. So that's been sort of my take on it. I mean, the A's are the worst team in baseball, right? As far as attendance, as far as what they spend, uh, you know, their record isn't good. So it's not like they're a top quality organization. And Las Vegas has a lot to offer. In other words, they need Las Vegas as much as Las Vegas needs them. So I've been sort of against the right now $380 million public financing bill that it looks like it's going to pass to give them their stadium. I also don't understand why they have to build a one and a half billion dollar stadium, by far the most expensive one. So it's like they're coming in, trying to be as flashy as they can be and sort of trying to force us to, to That's Vegas, yo. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, I, <laughs> well, Major League Baseball is exciting. I will say that. It's it's 1.5 billion, Joe, and they're getting the land from for, for free from the TROP. And it's the smallest stadium as far as seats in, in Major League Baseball, only 30,000 seats. So where's all the money going? That's what I don't understand. Yeah, I think the other weird thing, you know, I've been following this on the outside just like as a baseball fan is or and as a sports fan in general, like they should be able to privately fund the stadium as well. So I, I would get how as like I, I've, I've reached a point in my life where I feel like all stadiums should be privately funded in general, uh, just because, you know, obviously there's like so much money in professional sports these days that like, you know, why they need to pass the burden on you, but don't want to get too far into that. And I haven't researched it too much, but you just see like how many billions of dollars all these franchises make. And, you know, they still make money, even though they don't have anyone go because of the revenue sharing and major league baseball, you know, it just feels like they're, I, I do not think this is going out on a limb, but the A's do not seem to have the best owners. Yeah, it's been crazy no, to hear terrible. all the A's fans like chime in in the comments on Twitter and everything whenever we talk about it because the A's fans hate the owner there. Obviously, they're bitter because the A's are leaving Oakland, and I think Oakland negotiated in good faith for a long time trying to get a stadium for them. The uh, Raiders owner, Mark Davis, also hates the A's because when he was trying to stay in Oakland with the Raiders and build a football stadium where the Coliseum is, the A's went and re-signed a lease and kind of went behind their back and basically forced the Raiders out. But also to that point, the Raiders doubled in value as soon as they moved to Las Vegas and got their $750 million public financing for their stadium. So I think the A's will do just fine. The value of the, pro of the franchise is going to go up. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's probably going to happen. And, you know, Las Vegas, all we need is an NBA team to be announced, and then we'll have all four. All right. So since, uh, Mark, you've been gone for six months, I've been saving this story. Forever. Yes. It, it can't it can't be as it, it's not as good as it was when it happened live. You know, it's one of those things where as time went on, I realized the story is stupider and stupider, but I'm still going to save it. So, <laughs> you know, longtime listeners of this podcast will recall that, like, very early on, my wife got a Nordstrom card without me knowing. And it, like, drove me nuts, drove me bananas because 
you know, she only lets me apply for one card for her every year. Well, uh, you know, way back when I had to, I had to buy a suit because for the whole like travel agent award thing, you know, so I had to buy a suit to like dress <laughs> I had to up big for time. that. I had to big time the D- Disney award. Yeah. Well, I didn't <laughs> fit any in, of, into any of my suits anymore. Cause I hadn't bought a suit in like over a decade. So I had to go buy a suit. You know, I, you know, I'm trying to be hoodie and sweatpants like every single day as a typical middle-aged dad. So Jess is like, yo, you should go to Nordstrom to do that. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, fine. I'll go to Nordstrom. Anyway, I spent more money on this suit than I spent on the suit that I got married in. Okay. I spent like $1,000 on the suit. I never spent that much money on my clothes in my entire life. Of course, you got Jess complaining that I'm spending so much money. And I was like, you're the one who sent me to Nordstrom, man. She meant Nordstrom Rack, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But then the the worst part is she's like, yo. And I I was like working on a – I think I was working on a Biz Platinum spend at the time. She's like, Joe, you got to put it on the Nordstrom card. And I was like – no like why and then (laughs) so you can have more money to spend at nordstrom that you don't want yeah like i didn't get it and then she's like and she's like it was it was one of those times where i'm sure our wives get the same thing we talk to them about something and they say all these words to us and they have no we have no they have no idea what we're talking about she was like oh yeah and you got to tell them that you're going to use my double bonus days and then use this and that certificate and blah 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 and i was like what i was like <laughs> what double what today and what like what does this even mean she's like said all these words to me and i was like yo jess you just need to type out exactly in text what you want me to say <laughs> it's to this like dude putting sticker on a card for, this is what you use for gas yeah no exactly <laughs> exactly it was, it was like the same thing like opposite and then i was like so i like literally like had my phone up and i was talking to the guy who was checking me out and I was like, okay, I'm not sure what this means, but um, my wife says to uh, put in this email address and uh, look her up. And these are the last four digits of her phone number and use her double bonus days and also her extra bonus certificate and blah, blah, blah. And then the guy was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And I was like, of course. I love the fact <laughs> that course. she totally set you up with her agenda by making you go to Nordstrom just so you could use all that stuff that she wanted. I mean, this is like totally flipping the script on you. It is, although she still did complain that I spent way too much money on a suit. But I was like, and she's like, she's like, Joe, you better not freaking get any fatter because you are not allowed to buy any more suits for at least another decade. So, uh, yeah. So just go can't, to the uh, tailor. Get the, go to the tailor and have him let it out. It'll be good. Oh, oh, you're right. She was like, she was like, oh, you should get free tailoring too. Tell them this, that, and the other, and then they'll tailor it, and they won't charge you for the tailoring. Like I didn't. I was like, uh, what? So, um, and she, you know, she wants to remind me that also the suit was also more expensive than her wedding dress. So spend way too much money on that suit, but now no, I have it wait, for the next decade. Did you tell her the, the PDX deals guy line? It's a tax write off. So it's basically free. It's not a tax write off. <laughs> what? I, I checked with my, ta- so clothing is like never a tax write off because like ostensibly, you know, you do not have to, or it's not exclusively for the business or you can't. Like I you feel can't like real estate agents get to write off their clothes. I'm not sure though. I, I think it's like a percentage, know, but, but I think it's you just have a really uptight. And just this is a reminder that we're not we're not accountants <laughs> on this show, so this is not uh, any any advice. But I think you get a percentage of yeah, you can uh, as a realtor, but it's not the full thing. And uh, you know, you could have had like your you should have had a business buy the suit, and then you could wear it as a costume. Oh well. Where were you, Sean, in January? See, Mark, if you hadn't left us, we would have talked about this, and I'd gotten this all set before I filed my taxes. But, uh, yeah, so, anyway, Nordstrom card strikes again. Oh, and then the, and then the, the, the like, the dumbest thing. So, Should like, all that stuff. Tux, to be honest. Yeah, baller. probably. All that stuff, all that stuff she handled, like, she had no problem with, right? Then, like, a month ago, she shoots me a message, and they're like, and she was like, and she was like, oh, they just sent me an updated version of the Nordstrom card because, like, it expired or whatever. She's like, do you need me – do you need to re-sign me up for auto pay? And I was like, you don't know – like, no. Like, it's automatic. Like, you don't know that? Like, you know all this crap about your Nordstrom card, but you think I have to re-sign you up for auto pay after after you got a new card? Like, just because it expired, it wasn't – I was like, ah, well, it's just – men are from Mars, women are from Venus. That's That's just the bottom line. 
But it is funny how everybody has their own little points thing that they know all about and doesn't make sense, you know, and that's the for anybody like your parents, your wife, your kids, they all have like their niche that they just you got to do this, this, this. And you always look at them like, what the heck are you talking about? And we get the same looks from everybody. So it's funny. Yeah, it's it's all universal, right? It's depends on what you care about. And then you're you'll jump through so many hurdles to figure out what you care about. And then somebody mentions something that you don't care about or doesn't hit with you and you're just rolling your eyes at them. Just works both ways. So, Mark, uh, I saw like a few weeks ago you were in New York City bar hopping down like Manhattan in every district or something like that. And it looked really good. It was, I was jealous Life, of that. Lifelong dream. Lifelong dream. Yeah. I didn't quite accomplish it. And it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's 40th birthday that we went for. And she wanted to like pick bars in each thing and research them and stuff. And I was like, we just need to walk a straight line. And when you see something cool in each neighborhood, you stop. But we didn't get uh, we didn't get all the way through it. We started down in the financial district, hit a couple in there and then went our way through, which was cool because there were some areas I'd never been to or spent a lot of time in. And so we went all the way up. I think we made it to the weird thing is we made it to just north of Soho. So what is that? Uh, Greenwich. I think we made it to Greenwich. And then uh, somebody she knew that had a uh, had a penthouse overlooking Central Park, like right next, right overlooking Tavern on the Green, wanted us to come and have some drinks there. So we hopped on a train, went up there, had drinks, and then went to a jazz club that he recommended. The Bird? I don't know. Bird don't club? you have a shirt bird from club? there? Yeah. <laughs> I have a shirt from everywhere, Sean. Damn it. Right after he got back from New York, I was recording a show with him, and he had the shirt on from the from the jazz Birdland club. Jazz Club. I was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he recommended Birdland Jazz Club, said it's one of the best jazz clubs in America. So we went there, and then we hit a couple more spots on the way down. So I think we missed, like, three neighborhoods, and we probably could have got it done if we wouldn't have done the detour. But it was kind of cool, something I wanted to do forever. Uh, definitely need to go back and do it again. But we did a lot of unique things that trip. Uh, first time I stayed in Jersey City instead of Manhattan. We stayed at the Hyatt Place, which was actually pretty nice. It was 15K, so you can use a Category 1 to 4 cert. And, Joe, have you ever gone, you know, Jersey Boy, have you ever gone to Jersey City for the uh, the sunset on Manhattan? Yeah, my sister used to live in Jersey City. She lives in Hoboken now. So, yes, I've seen it. It, it, is, it is really, it's pretty nice, yeah. I mean, it's a nice place to live. A lot of people who, like, work in the city live there and in Hoboken now. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a comedian I follow on Twitter is, like, yeah, why do we always make fun of Jersey City? It's actually really nice, <laughs> just because it's Jersey, I guess. But yeah, you get like a reverse sunset where it, it, uh, the sun reflects, the setting sun reflects off the glass of all the skyscrapers in Manhattan, which is really cool to see. And uh, Hyatt Place has a rooftop bar with amazing views of that. Uh, and Friday night, we partied in Jersey City, which was a lot of fun, actually. Uh, probably more fun than I've had, you know, hanging out in bars in Manhattan. Just a different vibe and and we didn't make it to Hoboken but I heard that's a really cool area to to hang out and check out and we so we landed in LaGuardia and we're staying in Jersey City that was mistake number one should have definitely flown into the Porta Potty Airport uh in Newark a lot closer but the the Uber ride there was like a hundred bucks we're like all right well what what should we do to try to maybe make this a little bit cheaper so we took a Uber to Dumbo had never been spent time in Dumbo so checked out that area a little bit, and then we're like, all right, well, let's walk across the uh, Brooklyn Bridge, which was a really cool, one of my favorite experiences in New York City now. If you've never done it, definitely do it. We even dragged our luggage across it. So my buddy's, uh, Ryan's luggage is like, da, 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 going across the wood slats, and there's a guy. Like selling... a, oh, go ahead. It's like a mile long. Yeah, it was, uh, it's, it took like a good 25, 30 minutes, I think, and that's if you don't really stop. And there, you, there's people selling knickknacks and actually like the souvenirs getting sold on both sides of the bridge were probably the cheapest I saw anywhere. You could get like a Yankees hat for five bucks and stuff like that. And there was one guy selling uh, beer out of a cooler, which I'm pretty sure was illegal for him to sell and for me to drink. But, you know, I had to do it. Of course. I mean, it's a that's why he's there. You, you can't make it all the way across <laughs> without you need a, you know, a, yeah. a pit stop. Yeah. So Wait, I walked was it like. Wait, was it like canned or bottled beer or was it just, you know, pouring it out of a flask? <laughs> no, it was like he had a, pouring like out of a 40 into a cup for you. Like the guys you see in Vegas on all the overpasses uh, selling water out of a cooler. He just had like uh, soda, water, and then like four different kinds of beer. And I was like, oh, you got a Heineken? I'll, okay, I'll take that. So it was like six bucks. So the cheapest beer in New York City is out of a guy's cooler while you're walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. 
pretty cool experience to walk. I was the only one walking with a beer, but nobody said anything. I didn't see anybody up there, but they, they got the bikes off of the walk. So they have like their own separate path next to the walk, which is good. I guess they used to be on the same path. And that was kind of annoying that people would be walking, not paying attention somewhat like Amsterdam where you get yelled at for being in the way. So yeah, it was exactly like that. That's good to hear that they separated it. You had a Dodge bicycles uh, the whole time. And yeah, when it get crowded with people, there was sometimes no place to go and bikes would almost hit you. So that's good to hear. Yeah. And we were there like sunset. So we walked across, it was like 50 bucks to get the Uber to Dumbo. We walked across, we're like, all right, maybe Ubers are cheaper now. And we probably could have taken the train subway, but with all the luggage and after the walk, we're like, we don't want to mess with it. It was still like 40 bucks. We didn't really save any, any money, but the cool thing about the Hyatt place is there, the ferry is right there. It'll drop you off down by the financial district. You can hop on that for a couple bucks. It runs most of the day. And there's a train stop right there. So there's a Hyatt Regency as well, which I heard might be a little bit better. But I prefer the Hyatt place with that rooftop bar. Uh, definitely. I mean, I guess you could stay at the Regency and walk down and, and go up there. The Regency is a Category 5 now, right? I think it was a Category 4 for the longest time. But I think oh, okay. it went up to 5, if I remember right. So, uh, like you said, using the certs, go with the with the other Hyatt. But I have heard good things about the Hyatt Regency there as well. But if I'm spending 20 k a night, I probably want to... Maybe just yeah, be you in might the as well city. go over. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're spending twenty, that's the one thing. Like we did it just because we all had certs, so we did it. And definitely don't take the Uber. Uh, it, it doesn't. Then you end up spending more money versus being on Manhattan because they charge you like a twenty dollar tunnel fee. Uh, so once you get there, just take the the ferry or or train across. It's so much cheaper. Yeah, if you had uh, flown into Newark, you could have just taken the train. That would have yeah, been but I hate fifteen that train. bucks. Yeah, I hate that train. Yeah. You got to well, take a train to I mean, a train and well. Newark too. Yeah. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah, we'd la- the train to the train uh, thing from Newark airport. Yeah. And I tried, we tried to do that last time we were staying uh, uh, at the guild hall in the financial district back when that was a cat four. And I did the train to a train and then they had the, the station um, at the ground zero. I forget what the name of the station, but that, that station was closed for remodeling or something. So we had to get off in Jersey city and then hop on a boat across and then we had to walk the rest it was just it was a terrible experience so i actually did it because i wanted to write about it and i was like this is so bad i don't even want people to try world trade center that's what it's called more yeah trade center my bad but that is good i mean you can take the the train right in uh if you're near the at the higher if you're in jersey city you can get into you know to world trade center and then it's super simple to connect to any of the subway lines in nyc to get wherever you want to go so i've done it before not quite is convenient i'd say is being already in manhattan but you know yeah, if you're saving for sure if you have a little bit of time and you're saving somebody i just don't recommend staying in newark itself i've done that before my first time in new york city we oh. stayed in newark because mm-hmm. this is back you know backpacking days budget travel no miles and points so we stayed in newark and uh, our hotel was like a compound they had these huge walls because people were breaking into so many cars wherever we were staying and then we took the train in every day and took the train back out at like midnight into newark it was it was scary. Let's just oh, put it this yeah. way. Yeah, that was that was Americana right there. Yeah, my dad used to work in Newark back in the '90s, is where his uh, facility was, and he got like jumped, mugged in the parking lot, walking into work and stuff. It's just, it's not. And I, I doubt it's gotten much better since then. At least the bits and parts of I've seen, it's definitely not a place you want to vacation. <laughs> so, I want- especially with kids, Sean. Damn it. <laughs> I had a kid with me at the time. I had, you know, our families was seven. <laughs> we didn't know what, better. We, we were young. It. We were young and dumb. What do you, we, we lived to tell the tale. So I guess it all worked out. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So we want to talk a little bit later about exposure and risk in the hobby. But I wanted to talk to you because you just went back to Hyatt Regency, Chesapeake Bay this last weekend. And that's a hotel you've been to a few times. That used to be one of those really popular category four Hyatts that everybody wanted to go to that went up to category five now. So it's, what, 20,000 on a normal night can be up to 23,000 peak, I, I suppose. Uh, how, how was it? Are you going to keep going back, keep spending on it? Or are you, you done with that hotel? Yeah, it's tough to say. Like at a Category 4, I'd probably go back every year, uh, especially if you could use a cert there. It's a great property. You, you know, the rooms are slightly dated. And the funny thing is I got that welcome. I tried to email the GM, you know, using the LinkedIn trick, never got a response. And uh, that welcome email is I've used in the past that you get like a day or two out. And I said, Hey, it's our third time there. I'm Explorus. Is there any, you know, upgrade I can buy for cheap? You know, I've done it at the uh, Grand Cypress and stuff like that for $50. Usually they offer me a suite. 
And they came back and said, we give you a petite queen suite, upgraded you for free uh, for your explorer status. So I thought that was really cool. And that just had like two beds and then like a little living room with a full couch. So similar to a Hyatt place, but more boxy uh, and more spacious. So that worked well. And, uh, you know, it's got multiple outdoor pools, water slide, indoor pool, movie nights, uh, you know, eating contest, hula hoop contest, belly fluff contest. And anytime a kid like wins, they get an arcade card uh, with money on it. So it's kind of cool. They do a really good job. Uh, Cambridge has a cute little downtown. So, you know, if I could get it for 20K or 17K, I'd probably go back 23K for weekends pushing it. But the cash rates do get up to like six, seven hundred dollars which is pretty nuts. But on the way there, we actually stayed in the Kent Narrows, which is under like a bridge, almost like you're living like a troll. And that was uh, a Cat 4, I think, or maybe a Cat 3. And uh, we, we got it for 9K a night. Uh, so that was kind of a cool stopover. And if you want to go to Annapolis, it's only a 30-minute drive to Annapolis from there. And, and you can kind of jump off, go to, you can go to Ocean City, you can go down to the South Shore, of Maryland. Uh, so that's a really cool place. And they have all these seafood restaurants around it. So it's kind of like a unique little niche uh, in the area hotel to stay at. Going back to the petite queen suite, don't you hate it when you go to like the, the Hyatt Regency in Orange County near Disneyland is like this. They The suite that they have looks exactly like a Hyatt place room with like a sofa bed and it's not renovated or anything. And their other tower, their regular rooms, they renovated them. So they're nicer. So now every time I go there, I ask, you know, just give me a newly renovated room. Don't give me the suite because it kind of sucks to get upgraded to a suite. And then it's just like a Hyatt place room, especially if it's like an old, you know, I don't mind the layout, but if it's like an old room. So, yeah, but uh, it's glad to hear that, that it was a little bit bigger and nicer, but you know, a lot of these properties in the U S don't have great suites. Yeah. And it, the funny thing is the last few times I stayed there, I was globalist and I didn't really get much of an upgrade. And this was the first time we got water views and you had like a little balcony uh, for water views. So I thought that was funny that just by asking uh, ahead of time, even with lower status, was the best room I got uh, out of the three stays. And it, I mean, it was a little bit before season because I don't think any the schools on the East Coast are out for a couple of weeks. <clears throat> cough, cough, Joe. Ugh. How did you uh, end up? I'm I should have asked this years ago, but how did you end up like making Maryland like a regular thing? You know, it's like uh, it's always interesting, you know, because you're from Michigan or whatever. It's interesting yeah. like, how did how do you zero in on that? So the the funny thing is the first stay was when they had like a couple years ago, they had like a golf Hyatt golf promo thing where you could book the room and you got like a, a unlimited golf for two days thing. And my buddy Derek lives in the area. He's like, they have a really nice golf course. Hey, you should probably book this deal. So we booked it and golfed. And then since he lives there, we go visit him each year with the kids and, and everything. But that's kind of how it started. Like I went there to golf and then i was like you know what my kids would love this place this is like perfect and it was still cat four so every time we had certs we would just book that uh and it kind of grew from there so you know kind of a random thing and i'd heard about it people talk about it but it is it's like an hour and a half drive from uh baltimore's airport so it does take a little bit more uh, to get to versus you know other places where you just fly and take a quick uber to the hotel there are a number of those hyatt properties in the u.s those resorts you know there's a lot of people who don't want to travel internationally and they don't want to, or East Coasters who don't want to go to Hawaii, which, you know, every time I spend on like a Cat 6 or Cat 7, I always think I could be using these points in Hawaii. That's sort of my thinking and why I'm always, you know, cheap. When I was in Tokyo, even, I'm like, oh, I, this is a this is a night in, in Maui. But there's a lot of those cool properties. Man, excuse us. We can't go to Hawaii like every day like you. I don't yeah. go every day. I'm a West it. Coast thing. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a lot of them in the U.S., right, proper. There's Coconut, what, Coconut Point down in Florida. There's a couple properties in Texas. There's this one. So for people who don't want to go, you know, overseas, you have the Hyatt Points, but you want that resort family experience. It's kind of cool. And, of course, Hilton and Marriott have similar properties, too. It's not just Hyatt, but everybody's so Hyatt-focused these days. You know, it's good to, to know about these properties. Even if a lot of these properties used to be Category 4s and now they're not Category 4s anymore, the ones in Texas, I think, are fives now. Coconut Point, I think, is a five, maybe a six at this point. I haven't looked in a while. But that's a cool property. I stayed there last year and really liked it. Had a cool water park. And I could see, you know, it gave you that sort of resort. But you could have been in Maui. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's, uh, you know, that's a West Coast thing. If you can fly to Maui in five hours, great. I totally understand why East Coasters don't want to spend nine hours on a plane to Hawaii. So. 
I think that's why, like, if Grand Cypress would just heat that dang pool, I think that's a really great, you know, cat three, cat four. It, it always goes back and forth. Uh, but that's a really, it gives you like a Hawaii feel type of resort. And they don't do as much as the Chesapeake Bay property as far as like interactive things. They still have like kind of like a movie night or something in the pool. But it's just, the Chesapeake Bay property takes it to like another level. Uh, but I think that that's a really, you know, a gem uh, on the East Coast that you can get to fairly easily. And it's pretty affordable that you'll get that resort experience. Got a random question for you guys. What do you think is, especially with these seasonal hotels, like what's worse? Them having a award chart and categories with like off-peak and on-peak? Or, you know, imagine an alternative where, you know, I always talk about the one in Portland, Maine, right? It's like $600 and... 20,000 points in the summer. Um, but in the winter, it's like $100 a night, but still like 16,000 points because that's like the lowest. I'm making up the numbers, but like that's the lowest they can go. You were close to so, 17. So, so it's like, so it's like, uh, I can't even tell if you're trolling or not. <laughs> no, I mean, if it's a cat five, I think the low, the, yeah. the lowest 17. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's like, it's like if they're, if they're gonna do off peak, on peak, sometimes I'm like, is it better to, I mean, I guess ultimately it's not better to not have a total award chart at all because then they can just do whatever they want. But like sometimes with these like off peak on peak places, I bet you even with the Chesapeake one, like in the winter, you know, it probably could be even cheaper on points if they didn't have those like lower boundaries or whatever. Yeah. I think it's a give and take. I mean, you're getting, I think you get way more on the top end than you do the bottom end. And I, I look at it this way, like the top end, you're getting extreme value and you're able to stay somewhere that you would never be able to pay cash for or on the bottom end, you still can pay cash at least, you know, if it's a hundred bucks. So it's kind of annoying that they don't discount it more. Um, But you kind of work around it too. Like we, we threw out the idea of, you know, if we go back next year to stay, drive straight to the Chesapeake uh, the first couple days, like during the week when it's 17 K a night uh, in the shoulder season, early June, and then going to the Hyatt place, uh, Kent Narrows and hanging out in Annapolis, which is one of our favorite, areas in the u.s uh, small city type of thing and just kind of exploring that area and, and you getting you know a cheaper a cheaper stay for the weekend and closer to the airport and all that so i think you just kind of work around it but at least you have the cash option for the low end i'd say before we move on one last hyatt data point i did the built status challenge thing that they had for built rent day a couple months ago even though i have globalist status and i know there's a few people wondering making sure that it all worked Obviously, I got confirmation, but I just completed the 20th night after that, and I did get Globalist extended. So, you know, if, if you're nice. waiting out there to do that, yeah, it's cool. It's cool that they did yeah, that back, for current members. I'm back on the uh, Globalist train just because of this promo. You know, I kicked it to the curb last year, and everybody hated me for it. So I'm uh, coming back on my word. And, and I mean, for 20 nights, you, you almost have to do it. It's just it's just crazy. Trash status. Don't do it. It's too late anyway. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Joe. Spread that message. Yeah, there's a, we need a bajillion globalists now. Globalist. It's like it's like Delta status. So with all those rollovers, so many people have Delta, you don't get anything well. anymore. So let's talk about exposure and risk in the hobby. Uh, Mark, I'll let you sort of lead on this because there's a big thing that's happened over the last few months in the hobby. A group of individuals got in way deeper than they probably should have, but the method of spending that they were doing sort of had a fallout. I've hinted about it on the show a few times. I've always said it's not my story to tell, and it's not your story to tell because neither one of us are personally involved as far as doing this. We haven't done it. Um, But, you know, there was some discussion this week about, you know, bloggers not, I don't know, disclosing uh, the risk that's in in this hobby. And you wrote an article, we need to have a serious talk about exposure and risk. So I'll let you lead the way on where we go with this. Because I think we've had a lot of these talks privately, and I think we're largely on the same page, that it can get really crazy and exciting in this hobby, especially when you find ways to print points. And by print points, I just mean you find ways to spend, even as owning a small business like reselling like I do, generating tons of points, it gets exciting. I've overbought merchandise just because I've gotten so excited about, you know, the points that I was going to earn when I was getting a good category bonus or something. And that can really almost turn into an addiction. It can be, you know, it can be dangerous. Yeah, for sure. And this is, you know, this is the biggest thing we've seen, uh, but it's not the first thing we've seen. We've seen, you know, the plastic merchant went out of business. People were left holding the bag for tens of thousands of dollars. 
uh, in some instances. And people were loaning out business credit lines to businesses with poor credit. So they get the free points and get paid back. And that went on for years until it, you know, kind of folded in on itself. And there's a lot of people that do buyers groups where your buyers clubs, where you're sending Apple watches and iPads and stuff to people. And one of those will eventually go out of business. Likely it's just, you know, that's the risk that you're taking on. And I think it's okay if you know, and you, you, you tell yourself that like you understand that and you don't, you know, I think sometimes people fool themselves and say, you know what, there's not that much risk really, especially when you're in these groups with people that are all thinking the same things and saying the same things like, Oh, I'm doing a hundred K. What, what are you worried about 50 K for? That's nothing like, and, and you kind of lose track of what this is real money. This isn't play money. Like I know it feels like play money cause you're not actually spending it. Uh, but until you get it back, you spent it. So if something goes under and you're left holding the bag, you know, you want it to be in a place or at a level that you're comfortable with taking that hit. And and that's kind of the number one rule. Everybody always says is don't bite off more. You can chew. Don't overextend yourself past the point of what you can afford to lose. And time and time again, we've seen people throw that caution to the wind. And I think it's something that we all need to, to realize and understand and have a, you know, a real self-awareness uh, about it because it just keeps causing trouble. And it, it, this isn't going to be the last time it happens either. Yeah. When I first heard about this play and I've known about it for several years, again, never had anything to do with it. Uh, neither did you. So we are just from the outside, although we both know people who were involved in it. Um, it, you know, it was run by a few people, this group basically where they were allowing people to generate spend. Um, hopefully the whole story will come out again. It's not our story to tell, but we do know of people that are out significant amounts of money. Like, you know, I think in the six figures for some people, uh, even some maybe even in the high six figures, uh, but that's all anecdotal. But I guess, yeah, as you, as you said, I, I, earlier this year, I talked to somebody who was spending a lot in this group um, and we were talking about it. And at first he was very like, uh, he was very afraid to tell me about it because the whole atmosphere of this group was to keep it secret or to only let certain people in. Um, but, you know, eventually I told him, I know about the group. I don't want to be in the group. It's fine. And through the course of like a 30 minute conversation, he was so positive about what was going on and how it was working and all the points that he was earning that he almost convinced me that it was, you know, good. But I, I said, I still think that it's just too much. But I agree with you. Like, it's really hard to, to find what that number is, right? What's enough exposure for you? You can think, oh, well, I don't want to, you know, go more than $20,000. But if you lost $20,000, how would that affect your life? How would that affect, you know, your relationships? How would that affect everything? You know, Come to a real number. And, you know, I think in your article, Mark, you talk about how you're going to do it. And I'll let you talk about that in a second, how you're going to kind of move forward with this. But have a real conversation because we do know people who have gotten caught up in this, that it's significantly affected their life in just about every way. And I think it would affect my life if I lost that much money. And, you know, I certainly have done things uh, where I've floated money. Heck, even reselling on Amazon is a bit of a crapshoot sometimes because they could just shut down your account. You know, you have to have, you know, ways to liquidate things, ways to get out of different plays. And then you also have to understand that as much as, Somebody like the plastic merchant is a great example. It was good for a while and then it just disappeared. Business is business and businesses can just close up shop. And what happens if that you know occurs and you're sitting floating hundreds of thousands of dollars as some people do? It's, it's a tough conversation to have, but yeah, it's terrible to see this happen to people. Yeah, I think the other thing with this particular issue is uh, it really felt like you know, like with reselling and other things, typically it feels legitimate. You're dealing in like legitimate goods. This particular play, it well, as I read it, it felt like fraud. And like I think there are, um, and maybe it's not. I don't. I don't know like the legal definitions or whatever. But I think like when you're getting into programs to try to build up your point balances. Like if something doesn't feel right, like you were saying, Sean, you know, you really need to kind of take a look in the mirror and see if it's worth it. Like, does that one, does like the one or two or three first class flights you get out of this 
is that worth like the risk of, you know, doing something that you're not comfortable with? And that's not to say, you know, I, I worked with the plastic merchant. I mean, he was on the Saverosity observation deck. Like we had him on the podcast. He seemed like a normal guy when we had him, like all these people who have their schemes fall apart. They always seem, I mean, they're, they're great at talking. Like that's why, um, you know, what's his face, Sam, Friedman or whatever, you know, the SBF guy, right? They all are great at talking. And so we had him on the podcast and he seemed like a totally stand up normal guy. Luckily, I didn't have anything floating when everything went to crap with that. Um, but, you know, at times I would have like a couple thousand dollars floating with him. And like you said in your article, Mark, I was ready to lose that couple thousand, even though, you know, that was, I was actually buying the gift cards. I was actually like selling. You know, I actually, I can't remember exactly how that scheme work. And then um, with the reselling clubs, I've been in the same situation before. And sometimes they take like a month and a half, you know, two months to pay out. And it's stressful. And like I, I decided at some point, you know what? They're probably good for it, um, but it's not worth this stress. Uh, you know, I remember this one time with like mint coins. You know, it took a little while to pay out. And these coins were like $1,500 each. Or whatever, and I was like, I was like holding the bag for like five of them, you know, and it was just too much stress to like wait for it. And so at some point, you got to decide. Like, I I think we've said this many times. Like, if miles and points is a job to me, then it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, I know people do it for a job and they enjoy it. That that's different, right? That's like I enjoy playing poker, but I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna play poker like for my job, right? And so for me, like that that's where. Um, multiple places where I draw the lines. Yeah. And in my article, uh, which Sean was talking about earlier, I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion of what I'm going to do is I'll, I'm willing to put out there float risk, whatever uh, the amount of that I can cash in on points. So that's like memberships rewards cashed out either with the business platinum at one cent or the Charles Schwab at 1.1 cents. Same with the ultimate rewards, whatever that, you know, you can cash those out with pay yourself back or straight one cent. Um, whatever that amount is, thank you points are easy to cash out at one cent. So let's say you have $10,000 worth of transferable currency points at any given moment. That's what I'm willing to risk. Cause it's not going to affect family budget, um, and stuff like that. And, you know, some people will say that's not, well, that's not enough. I want, I want to uh, gauge more. Well, maybe you have fun money sitting in an account and it's all individual what that number is, but I think you do need to come up with it. And if you look at it this way, if you do, focus on things that you can turn over more quickly, you know, that you're not waiting or floating 35 days for, then that's different. Like if it's $10,000 and you are getting that money back in five days, then you can do that more often in a month than $10,000 that you're floating for 35 days. So I think another thing you have to be aware of is what outs do you have with that particular play? Um, like if you're reselling gift cards, you still have the physical gift cards. So if something goes wrong, like plastic merchant, a lot of people went out and used that card at the store or bought more gift cards with the gift cards, rolled them to get them fresh, or just went and said, you know what, I'm going to go eat at Applebee's and order a ton of food and freeze it or whatever. Uh, if you were selling Applebee's cards, you had that out. If you're buying like Visa gift cards, you know, have multiple outs. You can, you know, load them to certain cards. You can get money orders, stuff like that. So, you know, that is less risky to me if you if you have $20,000 in in Visa gift cards, because you might have five different ways to to take care of those. Where if you're mailing something to a buying club, you know, you're not even touching that item. You don't see that item. It goes from Amazon directly to them. That's a lot riskier to me. That's why I don't do buying group because I have no control over that, you know, and I'm dealing with people I don't know. So maybe if it's something like Sean in the past has had a toy that he's reselling and he's like, hey, can you order some more? Because there's a cap here. I'll do that because, you know, I know Sean and it's usually a couple hundred bucks here or there, you know, but thousands of dollars sending to a warehouse in the middle of wherever, that's just not my thing. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I've had people try to talk me into it over and over again, and it's okay to say no. And sometimes it's tough. And I think we put pressure on each other in this space, which isn't a good thing to always be doing more, you know, and I'm here to say, do what you're comfortable with and stick to it. I agree. I mean, and we've had this conversation on this podcast. Joe and I, I know, I know have talked about this twice, at least this year, uh, since you left six months ago, basically kind of leading into this situation. And maybe we'll put the link to a Reddit thread, Joe, so people can read up more on what other people say. Because again, I don't want to 
put any information that's not true. And since it's not my story to tell, I'm not going to do it. But, uh, you know, the need for risk management is absolute. And I was one of the people who had gift cards with the plastic merchant. Uh, when he went, it was like $800. They were Bath and Body Works gift cards. I actually, ironically, hadn't sold anything to him for about a year. And I was just selling him something sort of as a test so I could write about what the experience was. And then that happened. And I went to the store, explained to them what I needed to do. They allowed me to buy merchandise and then return it um, unused. And then I got new gift cards when I returned it. And that was how I was able to manage that. But anytime somebody has control of your money, then you're at risk. And you should know that. And on the flip side of this, you know, people were trying to say that bloggers have had some accountability for people going into this group and losing all this money. And I don't get that either because this didn't have anything to do with bloggers. I think I only know of one blogger who was involved in this. I'm not going to say his name or anything, but these are people in the hobby and you'll meet these people at different, you know, networking events and people will tell you about how they're spending and how they're earning points. And sometimes people get together and I do agree bloggers need to be responsible in everything that we talk about. And I think that that's a good focus, but this didn't really have anything to do with the blogging community at all. And this wasn't anything that was, I had ever heard any blogger talk about. I only heard about it through people that I know that were doing it. And again, we never shared it because I never thought it was something that made sense to do. And I hate when people just use anything bad that happens to sort of trash us bloggers, but I guess that's, me sitting on my soapbox. I'm sure I'll get, uh, I'll get flamed for that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I'm going to try to make the point on Twitter. It's more of a miles and points thing. Like this is a, you go, go to any meetup or seminar or anything. And there's always people like, and that's part of the problem. I'm tired of grandstanding in the, the space, but there's always people like, Oh, I'm doing this per day or I'm doing this per month and I'm earning and why aren't you earning more? And, and it gives you FOMO and it creates this pressure. And I'm, I'm here to say like, you know, maybe we should back off that a bit. It's okay to share what you're doing, but don't try to like one up people or, or get them to feel it. And I think that's where some of this led is when you're in that group, I'm imagining, cause I wasn't in it, but when you're in that group, it's people like saying, Oh, I'm doing this. And you're like, wow, he's doing that. I, I should do that. Like, and you just, it just pushes people to levels that they're not even aware of. And I don't think it was an intentional in any way. I'm not saying that it's just something we do as a group and, and as a, a space. And that's something we need to be aware of. And it does has nothing to do with blogging. That's just miles and points. People like there's a group of people I meet up with in Detroit uh, of like 30 people. We meet up once a month, once every couple months. And it's just friends getting together, talking about this stuff. And similar things happen uh, that people are like, well, I'm doing this. So you should do it, you know, do it, do it more and stuff. And it's sometimes you have to say, no, uh, you know, that's not for me. And I think, people don't really realize that they're doing it. So something to be aware of for sure. I mean, I think, I think it was the, the argument you were having on Twitter was conflating two different issues. Like the one is that, um, I don't know, you can call them bloggers, you can call them influencers, you can call them whatever, but like people in, it's not just miles and points, people in travel, they're like selling a lifestyle, right? They're selling, you know, fancy flights, you know, all the TikToks that are like, um, Oh, you know, I, I got this first class flight for this much or whatever, you know, and in some senses that's selling a lifestyle. And then of course, what funds things are credit card sales and things like that. And so, you know, one can make an argument that like you are, it's, it's like the fire people, right? Like every fire person who's like famous, you know, they don't have to work because their blog or video or whatever is like making them a ton of money, you know, and so they don't have to work. Right. And so they're selling this lifestyle, but that like they don't they're not actually in the grind. Right. And I'm not saying all bloggers aren't in the grind, but like I'm like that. That's just an example I'm using. But I think it was like conflating that issue with the issue of people having too much exposure and too much risk. I think the I think the two issues are related because if you really want to get those first class flights, you start taking riskier and riskier moves to earn more and more points. Right. And like it can it can be dangerous. But I also think that's just like a human nature thing. Like you said, Mark, when people are talking about these groups, like typically they're not trying to sell you on like a Ponzi scheme. They're just very excited about what they're doing. And they're like, hey, you know, you should get in on this, too. And then it's two things. Number one, like, Mark, if you're telling me about a play, you know, like you're telling me about it because you're excited about it. And then I get excited about it because you're excited about it. So maybe I get in on it. But if I get in on it, that also reinforces any questions you might have had in your mind that the play might be iffy, 
right? Because if Joe's doing it too, then at least we're in this together, you know? And, it, and it's just like, you know, that's just groupthink society these days. And so it's like too multi-layered and multifaceted to like boil it down to like one issue or another, which is why, you know, I think, um, well, our, all arguments on Twitter are silly, but, uh, you know, I, I think it was just too complicated and a discussion to be had on yeah. Twitter. It's just too nuanced. Yeah, and I, I think the, the the problem I had with it was I I came from it with this is a problem throughout all miles and points. Like I said, and you, and you've said like if you go to a meetup and you're talking to people, that a blogger doesn't need to be in that group of ten people to to create FOMO and stuff like all these Facebook groups and everything. Like it's people posting their pictures. Hey, look at this trip I did with these points. Like that's an everyday, hundreds of times a day thing that reinforces that FOMO. So it has nothing to do with bloggers per se i'm not saying that they don't play a role in it um but it's a miles and points thing period it's a social media thing for all aspects not even just travel like any area you go into this is a problem uh for social media so it's just something like be aware of it and note and you know we've talked about this in the past on the podcast of don't go to maldives just because everybody's going to the maldives don't go to big sur just because everybody's going to big sur go there because you want to go there and the same thing goes into accruing miles do it because you think it makes sense. Don't do it because somebody else is doing it. And that's something I wanted to get out there and hopefully it helps some people, you know, but it's always hard to say no. And, and especially it, it gets high schoolish as far as like, let's all do it together. Group think. Yeah. Rah, rah. Well, it's like, I mean, it's like we're a FOMO driven society right now that I think that's what social media yeah. has done to us. And that causes a lot of these issues. I also think the most ironic thing about this entire argument is like, Blogs and written internet media is in a lot of trouble money wise. Like there, that is not that is not who is like making the most money off things anymore. Like that that ship is sailing. You know, like you can see all, all the con- consolidation and the um, layoffs in like big. Uh, I was going to say print media, but not print media, but like internet media, like the internet, and with AI, like starting to write people's blog posts. And stuff like that, like bloggers, they they are. I'm sorry to both of you guys, but it is it is it is it is a it's it's a tough it's a tough business to be in right now. So they're not, you know, I feel like it's more the TikTok video influencers stuff like that who are, you know, maybe ten years ago it was bloggers, but nowadays like the yeah. TikTokers are the new bloggers. And I think that's where a lot of the wild wild west is because they don't have. You know, they don't have as many disclosures. They don't go in as detail. I mean, a 30 second video, you can't really go into all the 29 seconds of disclosures (laughs) and then one one second picture of their first class seat. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough to do. So I think that's playing into it a lot. And, you know, so I think it's just the way you got to frame it properly. uh, The discussion to to actually be helpful uh, versus just, you know, pointing fingers or, or whatever. I think it's a it's a whole there's a whole lot of stuff going on and and everybody's got some blame to go around. So that's all I wanted to get out there and, and just be aware of it. Yeah. Our social media culture is not the healthiest for all of us in, in so many aspects of our life. And I think with this, it's, you know, not helping us. And I, I you know, I talked with Lee Huffman when he was on the show a few weeks ago about the snake oil salesman on, you know, TikTok, Instagram and stuff like that. And, you know, we're, I guess in some way competing with them and that's fine. Um, but you know, anybody can basically get a credit card, take their first flight, make a video about it and seem like they're living this, you know, lifestyle and try to gain influence by that. And then there's those of us who have been doing it a long time. And hopefully because we've been doing it a long time, we can lend a voice to what you're talking about, more sensibility, more common sense, keeping yourself safe, protecting your family, protecting your finances, not trying to chase every deal, not trying to chase every hotel that somebody went to. Yeah, it sucks if you go to a meetup and everybody's been to the Maldives and you haven't. I'll raise my hand there because I haven't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you can't join the conversation for that, but that's okay. Everybody doesn't need to go to every place and we don't all need to do what everybody else does. And sometimes it's cool to watch other people go places and know that you don't need to do that and be good with that. And uh, I think this was a fun discussion. And it's okay to go back to the same place a lot. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Me Disney and- World. <laughs> no, but that's like a shame point. I've, I, I know I've talked about it in the past, but it always bothers me. And they're like, why would you go back? Well, because I like it. What does it matter? 
Yeah, Mark, you haven't insane. skipped a beat. Sean was trying to wrap things up, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think Mark has agreed to come back on next week's show because he's going to talk all about his Faroe Islands trip and Iceland and Copenhagen. So uh, we have a lot coming up on the next show. Which, by magic, we're doing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, because I'll be on a cruise up to, don't, up to Norway. Don't pull back the curtain. Mark, I hate you. Okay, you started with that. And this episode. Oh, it's like that. it's like a guy that was like, "Why aren't you guys recording this for the Vegas show in the same room?" And I was like, "Cause there's the internet, and we don't need to be in the same room to record." No, because uh, the my funniest thing. This is a total aside, but uh, somebody said I look tired or something because I've been traveling so much. And I look tired in a video, and they said, "Yeah, well, Sean has a family. Mark just lives in his parents' basement because they think that his room that he records it is his parents' basement." You can cut that out, but. People I wish to attack that. I wish I got free rent. Mark, since we last recorded, you got new curtains. I mean, they look nice, man. There you go. So it doesn't look like a basement at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basement doesn't have curtains. Joker. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Mark, where, where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? You can find me on Twitter at Detroit Mark uh, on the website travelonpoints.net or join the Facebook group Travel on Points. Uh, just search Facebook and join the 60,000 plus that are in there now. How about you, Joe? At As Joe Flies on social media. If you do want to go to Disney World, Joseph Chung at Travelmation with an M. He needs another reason to wear that suit, guys. And now you end with blasting and clipping on the mic. I just (laughs) end this episode, Sean. Where can people find you? That suit would be great for Travel Agent of the Year next year. For the uh, for the event, so I, I agree. With no one Mark. wins twice. You just need to, you need to book twenty to, Maldives trips, I, and you'll get it. I have to present the award next year, so I'll wear that suit at least one more time. But uh, yeah, Sean, where? At Miles to Memories, all over social media. You can watch Mark and I talk Las Vegas twice a week at youtubecom Miles to Memories. We have all of our posts, podcasts, videos, everything we do at Miles to Memories.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. I hope that suit got you a little bit. Oh, 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 oh,